Chandler and Mallory and I, we're doing our best to hang out at home while Andrea and Lindsay, our oldest, are in Europe having a blast. Um, they keep sending us pictures from the Alps and pictures from the beach in Italy, and you know they're just they're having a good time. And and uh, so we wish we would be with them. We've got school and stuff here, so uh, they'll be home Thursday though. So we're looking forward to that. But. Uh, we're coming to the second to last sermon. I'll, I'll do one more sermon on Ephesians after this. But the second to last sermon uh, is in the sixth chapter. And just to remind us real quickly that in this, Paul has called us to, to kind of live in three ways. The first way is to learn how to sit in the strength of Jesus Christ in heavenly places to sit in the strength of Jesus Christ in heavenly places. The second, then, is to take that sitting and turning it into living and walking. So we're to walk out our faith every day. We're to walk faithfully of the calling with which God has called us. To walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. To be a people of the light who believe that God has called us to just a, a holy and loving and blessed life rejecting the anger, rejecting the brokenness, and instead giving our wholeness to him. And so today we pick up, uh, Paul wraps up his letter with a challenge for us. Stand strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Now that we've sat and walked, let's learn how to stand well in troubled times. So we pick up in the 10th verse of uh, Ephesians where we find these words finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but it's against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. So stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And this is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me and for me? Come, Lord Jesus, help me lift you up today. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak into our hearts and minds. I pray, shape us to be more like you. As we give thanks to you, Jesus, as we lift you up, may we find strength to stand in you and with you for our whole lives. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, 
Paul here, he's kind of bringing the whole letter that he's written, he's bringing it all into focus. He's bringing it all to the kind of the main point, and that is after you've sat with Christ, after you've walked with Christ, now you've got to stand in Christ. And so in like 11 words, I think, he uses the word stand firm three times. In this section, he uses the word stand four times in like four verses. And so for him, this is our challenge. This is the key to stand in the right way, in the right place, in a way that will help us in the storms of life, will help us in the battles of life. And so today I want to kind of help us find our feet so that we can stand firm. The, the word stand for me, it, you know, I know it's football season, right? And many of you maybe watched football yesterday and watched uh, the Falcons today and, and all that kind of thing. But, but one thing about football is it's like battle on a field, right? And so it's a good picture of what it looks like to stand, especially the offensive line. The offensive line's job is to protect the quarterback from the evil hordes of the defense that are trying to tear him down, right? And, and so their job is to stand firm, to be unmovable, to be a rock wall that keeps their quarterback safe or gives the running back time to find a hole and to make, uh, you know, get down the field. That, it's that kind of stand that Paul's talking about today. He's saying, be unmovable. Don't be shaken. If you get knocked down, get back up and go at it again. Don't give up. Because in the evil day, you must learn how to stand in the Lord. So in order to stand, he gives us a couple of keys here. And the first key he gives us is to know where we find our strength to stand. Know where we find our strength to stand. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And this is kind of the first key. Because as I think about this, as I think about the battle of life and the, the battle in culture and the battle in the world, um, so oftentimes as Christians, we, we place our trust, we, we place our energy, we place our allegiance into areas uh, that... Uh, that are not the most effective places to be battled. Let me give you some examples. Uh, for instance, in, uh, in the 12th century, you know, 10th, 11th, 12th century, the Church of Jesus had heard that Jerusalem was under Muslim rule. And when they heard that the church was under Muslim rule and that the, uh, you know, Jerusalem was under Muslim rule, instead, <laughs> They went and they trusted in an army, right? They sent an army down to free the promised land and the, the, you know, God's holy land. And so instead of trusting in Jesus, they trusted in their might, their power, their strength militarily. And it is a blight on the church of Jesus that we're still living with in our world today. We chose the wrong strength when we chose military over Jesus. And then the second thing is that I think oftentimes 
especially our temptation here in the modern world, is we trust in our political strength and what we can accomplish in the halls of power, what we can accomplish in legislation, what we can accomplish uh, with our nation or whatever. And so we, we've tried to be strong politically. And I think as Christians we need to be involved politically, but that, that's not where our greatest strength comes from. Again, when I think of the, the highest power of the church of Jesus, when I think when the church has been at its best, it's been in times where we had no political power at all. We probably had very little political voice. And so instead of leaning on uh, an army, instead of leaning on politics, we leaned on Jesus and Jesus alone. And in doing that, we transformed the world. The greatest example of that is how within 150 years, the Church of Jesus, with the help of the Holy Spirit, conquered the Roman Empire. I am still amazed that that even happened. I'm amazed that it ever occurred. This group of people who the only thing they had was Jesus, and the only difference they made was they were genuinely good people, people of integrity, people of love, people of compassion, people of kindness. That's all they had, and so that's all they did, and that's all they gave, but it was enough to conquer an empire. Isn't that amazing? And we've forgotten our weapons. We've chosen different weapons, and we've got to stop it. Our weapons aren't with political influence. Our weapons aren't even cultural influence. Our weapons are not on the battlefield. Our weapons are our faith in Jesus, staying connected to him in heavenly places so that we become deep down children of light, children that are vibrant, that lead others into that light, which Paul has talked about in the past week. That's who we're to be. And the only way to get there is our connection and our allegiance to Jesus Christ. Our, our, we need to have more of a Jesus worldview than a political worldview. And so many of us today get those two mixed up. Jesus' worldview is not a, it's not a democratic worldview. It's not a Republican worldview. It's not a progressive worldview. It's not a conservative worldview. Jesus' worldview is intrinsically different. But it's that kind of connection, that kind of strength that can transform the world. It did 2,000 years ago. Christians were getting thrown to lions. They were getting, you know, uh, beat up and killed in the arenas. And yet, they kept growing more and more people and more and more people because because people saw that there's something different about these families, these churches, and they wanted to be a part. They found their strength. They found their strength to be in the Lord and in his mighty power. Then the second thing Paul tells us is he also reminds us who our enemy is. He reminds us who our enemy is. And he says, listen, your enemy is not flesh and blood not other human beings. 
It's not other tribes or people. It's not people who speak different languages. Those are not your enemy. Your enemy is the evil one. The devil who tries to lie to you. You see, our battle is fundamentally a spiritual battle. It's a battle against the lies that the evil one tells about who our... And the number one lie he tells is he tells us lies about who our enemy is. And we continually confuse other people and we make them our enemy. Paul could have done that, right? Paul could have said, it's Caesar's fault, Caesar is the enemy. He could have said, it's the Roman Empire's fault, they're the enemy. They're the ones, it's the Roman governor's fault, they're the ones who threw me in jail, they're the enemy. He could have said, it's the Jewish leader's fault, they're the ones who almost mobbed me in Jerusalem, and they're the ones who put me in jail here, they're the enemy. He could have pointed out, you know, he could have said, it's the Gentiles, it's the nations, it's the barbarians, they're the enemy. He could have pointed his finger at everybody and anybody, but he did not. He said, those are not your enemy, brothers and sisters. Your enemy is a spiritual enemy. It's the enemy who tells you lies. The enemy who gets you to buy into this idea that your neighbor really isn't your neighbor. They're the enemy. Instead, our enemy is the one who lies to us. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual enemy. And so we must be focused then not on the enemy, but on the truth. And so to help us do that, Paul then, the third thing he tells us is to get your gear on, right? Get your gear on. Like football players, out, they have to go to battle. They don't go to battle without their helmet, without their shoulder pads, you know, without their thigh pads, or without their cleats on. you got to have the full battle gear on so that you're ready to fight the spiritual battle. And so as he shares that with us today, he lists all these different pieces of our armor, and he starts with the belt of truth. He starts, put that belt of truth around your waist. The belt of truth that will contradict the lies of the enemy. Because ultimately... Our battle is for, is for ideas, it's for teaching, it's for uh, who we really are as human beings, it's, it's for how we treat one another as human beings, no matter the color of skin, no matter the, uh, the language we use, no matter even the religion we profess. It's about seeing the humanity in each other and that we were all designed in God's image, made to be his children, and so to combat the lies we're told, we have to soak in the words of Jesus, we have to give our allegiance to Jesus, and we have to let that belt of truth be what wakes us up to the lies that we tend to fall for, and that in our community falls for and our world falls for. There's, you know, it's clear that this is the reason he started with the belt of truth, because you cannot make progress in the battle of life if you don't know, if you don't know the right things, if you don't have the right ideas and the right heart. And so he starts with the belt of truth. Then the second thing he goes to, um, he says, stand with the breastplate of righteousness in place. The second piece is the breastplate of righteousness. And this is kind of two-dimensional, right? 
when Jesus died for you, one of his greatest gifts is he made you right with God. Jesus paid for your righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness is a gift for you to put on. It's a free gift. It's open to anybody who wants it. They just have to open their heart to Jesus and say, give me your righteousness. And righteousness, y'all, it's a fancy word for being right with God and doing the right thing day in and day out. Making right choices, living in a right way. That's what we're designed for. We're we're designed to live in a right way with each other. And so to, to have the breastplate of righteousness on is to try to every day wake up and say, Jesus, in my choices today, help me choose the truth. Help me choose you. Help me follow you wherever you lead. And that keeps our body protected and it keeps our life strong. Because sin tears us down. Sin destroys our faith. But the breastplate of righteousness protects us and keeps us strong. Then the third key, he says, is put on the shoes of the gospel of peace, being ready with the shoes of the gospel of peace. And now I've always kind of wrestled with this. Why did he say gospel of peace? Why didn't he just say the gospel of Jesus or the gospel of the Messiah, the, you know, the good news? He says the gospel of peace because I, I believe he understands that the good news is that God in Jesus Christ, what he's done for us is he has saved us and through him we have one, we have peace with God. We have peace with God and we become part of God's family. But that's not all he's saying. When he says the gospel of peace, he's pointing back to Ephesians chapter 2 that we looked at now several weeks ago. And remember there he said, not only has God made peace between us and him, but because of the good news, God is bringing the world together in new ways. God is bringing us together as a human family. The gospel of peace means that Jesus died on the cross to tear down the walls between Asian and Latin American and black and white and, uh, you know, Ukrainian or Russian or Middle Eastern. God has come to tear down the walls between religions. God has come to tear down the walls between different languages and cultures. God has come to tear down the walls between different people. Jesus died to offer peace so that we can develop a new kind of community for his glory, a community that reflects that there is more that brings us together as human beings and children of God than those things that divide us. And so this was a message, is that we are ready to share the good news that anyone who longs to know Jesus can have a home here. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're white or black. It doesn't matter if you're Hispanic. It doesn't matter if you're Asian doesn't matter what your language is you speak at home all that matters is you want Jesus and if you want Jesus then there is a place here for you because the good news of Jesus is that it is a good news of peace then the next part he adds 
In addition, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. When you start growing in your faith, it's a guarantee that the, the liar, the spirit of evil, will begin to attack your life. He may begin to attack your family. He will begin to try to shoot his darts and arrows to tell you lies. Oh, you're no good. You think you're a Christian? You're not a Christian. You think you're saved? You're not saved. You think you're a family is worth blessing or your life is worth blessing, no, you're never going to amount to a hill of beans. Those enemies' voices, those lies that we believe that either other people put on us or we've heard in our own attitude and heart, they're just lies. They're just lies. And Paul says, when you take up the shield of faith, when you I think with this, I think of uh, Martin Luther. Martin Luther who started the, the Reformation of the worldwide church in the 1600s. You know, Martin Luther struggled with depression. Depression was his, uh, it was his, it was his challenge, right? It was his, it was his waves, it was his battle. His battle was with depression. And there would be moments where he would feel rejected, he'd feel despised, but he would, he would say, Satan, get away from me. I am claiming my baptism in Jesus Christ, and you have no place here. I'm claiming who I am as a child of God, and you have no place. You see, what, uh, what Martin Luther was doing is he was picking up that shield of faith in saying, I am going to be immovable and devil, your lies and your arrows, you're not going to tear me down. I'm not going to allow it because I'm connected with my Savior. And so having that shield of faith strong is one of the great keys. Then the, one of the last ones he mentions is the helmet of salvation. He says, put on that helmet of salvation. Put on that mindset that you are precious. Put on that mindset that if you were the only person in the world, Jesus would have taken the nails to the cross for you. You matter. You're loved. You're saved. You are forgiven. You are free in Jesus Christ. That's who you are. Keep that in your mind because it will help you when the battle comes to claim your salvation, to claim your faith, to claim the witness of the Holy Spirit. One of the things I'm noticing more and more in Scripture is, is how Paul and others would say, listen, if the Holy Spirit is a part of my life, that means I am someone new. If God is present in me, that means I'm a different person. This old person has passed away. And then the last piece of our armor is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And this is one of our main components that we can use to attack and to go on the offense. But to, you, to have the Spirit of God and the, and the sword of the Spirit and the Word of God be useful, 
you've got to know the Word. You've got to hear and listen for God's voice, in particular in Scripture. If you're not listening to the Word, if you're not consuming the Word, if you're not meditating on the Word, it's hard to get into attack mode because you've got to be ready. What Paul talks about here is, you remember Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, right? He was sent out into the desert. And there in the desert, he was met by the great liar himself, the devil. And the devil came and tempted him three times. You remember that story? And in those temptations, even Satan tried to use the scriptures against Jesus to point him in the wrong direction, to help him follow a path of a lie. And sometimes the evil one will even take this book and try to turn it to our own destruction. So that's why we've got to be filled with the Spirit. We've got to listen well. We've got to be shaped by the Word. Because when Jesus came face to face with the evil one, it was words from the Old Testament that he turned to. It was words like, Satan, you want me to turn these rocks into bread. I'm not going to do it. Because Deuteronomy says that man shall not live by bread alone, but instead we will live by every word that comes from, the, from God. And over and over and over in his temptations, he did that one after the other, using scripture to put the liar back in his place. And we've got to have a healthy understanding of, of the word of God, a healthy understanding of scripture as to who we're to be and, and God's promises about who we are and and about God's call to how we're to live in this world, we've got to have a good amount of clarity there to stand firm, to find our strength in the right place, to know who our real enemy is, and to put on the armor we're made for. Because if we will do those things, we will have strength to stand. And after we've done everything, we stand in this life. And even if you get knocked down, I think Paul says, you get knocked down, stand up again. Get knocked down, stand up again. Don't give up. Because a reward is coming for those who learn how to sit in Christ, how to walk with Jesus in heavenly places, and how to stand against the battle of the evil day. I want to close with just uh, two quick examples that I see of this. Uh, this first story is a woman who realized who her real enemy was. Uh, this comes out of Our Daily Bread from last Sunday, uh, which was the memorial for September 11th. And uh, the story goes that this lady, Phyllis, her son died in the Twin Towers on September 11th. And with that, uh, she grieved, her father grieved that her son Greg Rodriguez had died. But this is what she did next. She met Akia El Wafe, the mother of one of the men accused of helping the terrorists. Phyllis said she approached her and opened my arms. We embraced and cried for Akia and me. There was an immediate bonding. We both suffered on account of our sons. Phyllis met Akia 
amid shared pain and sorrow. She believed that the fury over her son's death, as appropriate as it was, could not heal her anguish. Listening to Akia's family story, Phyllis felt compassion. Resisting the temptation to view them merely as enemies, she desired justice but believed that we must release the temptation to seek revenge that often grips us when we have been wronged. The little devotion goes on and quotes Ephesians, saying you've got to let go of anger and bitterness and wrath. You've got to instead be kind and compassionate to one another. Brothers and sisters, Phyllis is a, just an amazing example of a lady who stood strong in Jesus Christ. She knew who her enemy was. Her enemy was not the mom of the son who had uh, you know, given his life to hurt us. Her enemy was the liar who had told the son that killing another human being was worth dying for. And so in her love, she found a way to embrace this mother who had lost a son too. Just an amazing quality. And to me, she shows the character of someone who has put on her armor and is eager for battle. And then I'll give you one more. On the way over today, uh, I listened to The Fish on Sunday morning, kind of get my mind right. This morning, uh, Bob Goff, have y'all heard of Bob Goff? Uh, Bob Goff is kind of the spiritual father, I think, for a lot of the younger generation and for some of us. Uh, he wrote a book called Love Does, and it's a great, great book. Uh, if any Sunday schools haven't used it before, you ought to use it. Um, but Bob Goff tells the story of around September 11th as well. He tells this story. He said, after September 11th, I got my kids together. They were 7, 9, and 11, two boys and a girl. And I asked them this question. If you could have an audience with, uh, with leaders across the world, what would you ask them and what would you tell them? The 7-year-old said this. Well, if I could meet a world leader, I would tell them, Come over to our house and let's have a sleepover. That's what I would tell him. Now, the nine-year-old boy, I can't remember exactly what he said. I'll have to go look it up. But then the third one was the older girl who was 11. And she said, you know what I'd tell him? If they can't come over to our house for a sleepover, then what we would like to do is we would like to come to them and interview them about a message of hope that we could share with the other leaders of the world that we don't have to give up in despair, but there's hope out there. And uh, Bob was amazed. He said, those are great ideas. And so they wrote letters, like a thousand letters, and they sent them to like world leaders all over the world from the, these kids. Come have a sleepover at our house. And a lot of world leaders said, that's nice, but no thanks. You know, they were kind of nice, but said ultimately, you know, you know, we can't do anything to meet with you. But he said there were 20, the president of Bulgaria, the leader in Israel, and about 18 others that said, yeah, come on, if you come and visit us, we'll sit down and we'll talk about a message of hope that we can share with the world. I tell that story because Bob Goff is also a guy that I look to and look at and say, there is a guy 
who lives life with his armor on. He lives life, and he's teaching his kids how to live life in a way that brings hope in a hopeless situation, that stands firm in the day of battle. And I don't know about you, but I want to live more like that too. So why don't we? We can. And may you, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness and love today. Lord, Paul challenges us to stand in Jesus. And God, sometimes that feels hard to do. We feel so weak. We feel battered and beat up. But Lord, in faith, we're going to stand with you. We're going to put that armor on to be the kind of people you want us to be. To remember that our real enemy is a spiritual enemy. To realize that our strength is ultimately from you, your spirit, shaping our heart and character and life and integrity. Those are the things that will make us stand strong in the day of battle for our community. So come, Holy Spirit. Help us offer our hearts and lives that we may stand in you, for you, and with you forever.